1099.3 WBT, hour number two of the Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete of the show, the number of the show, well, actually all the shows, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. That's Callender with a K. And I'm on Twitter at Pete Callender. So uh, the governor yesterday of North Carolina vetoed a couple more bills, bringing his grand total somewhere north of 70 total vetoes. And uh, that is uh, more than all of the prior governors uh, of North Carolina combined. It's actually twice as many uh, as all of their vetoes combined. He also, so I mentioned, I went over in the last hour, he vetoed this bill that would have directed sheriffs to help ICE simply by identifying people that are in the jail that are unauthorized immigrants uh, immigrants, and to hold them for 48 hours once identified if ICE says, hey, can you put a detainer on them? Because they're violent felons. They're violent criminals. So you show up in the jail because ostensibly you've been arrested for something, right? And you show up, you're in the jail, and you call me crazy. I think you would kind of want to know who's in the jail. Because if I show up in the jail and I give them a bunch of fake names or something, they're going to try pretty hard to find out who I am, find out if I've got a record. Like if I get busted down in South Carolina, they're going to try to find out who I am. If I'm from North Carolina, what is my record up there? Am I some sort of habitual felon? Am I a flight risk? Like all of these questions. But no, no, no. If you are, if there's, if there's an idea that you may be in the country illegally, unauthorized, then, uh, Hands over the eyes, hands over the ears, hands over the mouth. Don't want to know, see, or hear anything. It's almost like there's some sort of privilege going on, doesn't it? So this bill was stripped of some of the more controversial, shall we say, provisions, which, number one, was to penalize sheriffs criminally if they did not follow this law once passed. Uh, And I don't know why they got the idea at the General Assembly that sheriffs were not interested in Enforce uh, interested in enforcing laws. What whatever could have convinced the lawmakers of this state that there are certain sheriffs that are not interested in complying with the law? I don't. It's just me. Me. So they got rid of that provision. They uh, what was the other one that they stripped out? Uh, they said it's not it's not for anything other than rape, murder, and domestic violence. And so. Not wanting to argue, I guess, in defense of the rapists and the murderers, the ACLU folks and the La Puebla people and the what, like the activists and the advocates, they all show up uh, and they're like, uh, no, 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 uh, you're going to separate families. We're going to separate families. Yeah. Separate families where one spouse is abusing the other. And so at the so the risk of deportation which, by the way, have you seen what's happening on the border? What's really the risk of deportation? Seriously, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like they go away for a couple months, maybe even a couple weeks. It's a very short sentence, right? I mean, I know if you get caught back in the states after you've been deported, then that becomes a more serious offense. Where I think um, the official policy will be for us to. Do nothing again. But um, if you beat up your wife again, then, well, probably nothing. But 
if this law were to have been signed uh, by the governor, if the bill had been signed by the governor, then they could have deported you again for you to come back a couple weeks or months later. So maybe they make a third run at this. Now, I don't know. Uh, Chuck Edwards isn't going to be there anymore because he beat Madison Cawthorn in the run for Congress. And so he's going to be likely up in uh, Washington, D.C. And I suspect this bill is going to be part of his campaign. Uh, When he's out on the campaign trail, he'll make note of his attempts to do this and, you know, send me to D.C. And I'll be able to help put something like this at the national level. I'm sure he'll use it, as he should. Smart politics. But what is the position here that... We have to allow the abuser to go back home to abuse the woman because otherwise he'll be deported and we'll be breaking up the family. Isn't that amazing? We're going to hold up this idea of, oh, the family, we need to protect it. And that family includes somebody who is beating up their spouse. By the way, you know who else gets deported, so to speak, for beating up their spouse? Americans. I mean, not to another country, but to jail. Yeah, they'll go to jail. They'll get restraining orders and such. You won't even be allowed to be near the other person, even if you're not in jail. Stuff like that happens all the time. Yeah, you don't get to beat up on your spouse. It's one of the things, I know, it's one of the rules. You don't get to do that. But, you know me, I'm all about solutions. So it seemed to me like an easy way around this would have just been to cut out the domestic violence uh, perpetrators from the bill and you know make a big show of it let everybody know look democrats want to ensure that domestic abusers domestic violence abusers get to stay in the home and uh so okay fine if we have to essentially sacrifice all of those women in order to get rid of the murderers and rapists Okay, I I mean, I guess, you know, you take half of the loaf and you come back and fight for the other half of the loaf later, just like Democrats did with the gun control. Right. You just you take what you can get now and then you work to incrementally expand it at a later time. But they didn't do that. So um, it it failed. It uh, it suffered the uh, the veto. Oh, also, Cooper vetoed a measure that would shift governance of the states to residential schools for the deaf and one for the blind, it would shift the governance. This bill would have shifted the governance away from the state board of education and towards a new uh, uh, created board, uh, a board of trustees. And the governor vetoed that because uh, what did he say here? Uh, It would uh, the, he said it would, um, it would create an imbalance on the board, and uh, it says, he said, it continues this legislature's push to give more control of education to boards of trustees made up of partisan political appointees. Because the bill said that the board of trustees, this newly created board, would be stocked with appointees by legislative leaders. They would pick four voting members, and the governor would pick one voting member. Which, by the way, right, they... They're political appointees, yes, but um, you're assuming that the Republicans would maintain control of both of those houses, right? If if at some point they lost one of the houses and the governor was a Democrat and, say, the Senate was majority Democrat, they would get three members on the board. But obviously, the governor is taking a positioned, principled stand here against political appointees on these boards. 
right? That's the principled, good faith, honest approach that the governor is taking. Right now, the uh, the two uh, the governance of the two residential schools for the deaf and one for the blind, those appointees come from the State Board of Education. Do you know that? The State Board of Education makes those appointments. You know who appoints the State Board of Education? If you said Governor Cooper, you're correct. See, so when he makes the appointments, it's not political. By the way, Governor Cooper also went to court, fought in court multiple different levels in order to make sure that the Board of Elections was his to appoint as well. See, so when it comes to governing the school for the blind or the deaf, you can't have legislative leaders making appointments to that board. But when it comes to administering elections, partisan appointees, totally fine. I, re- I mean, I swear, Governor Cooper is the most principled governor I think we have ever had. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's jump over to the phones now. Here is Stan. What's up, Stan? How are you? Welcome to the I'm show. I'm fine, Pete. How are you? I'm good. What's well, up? Well, I, I wanted to tell you that when uh, Roy Cooper said that we couldn't let the uh, Republicans do that on their end because that would be political, but yet he holds the political power the other direction. Mm-hmm. The Democrats think that they hold the moral high ground, mm-hmm. so they can so they can never give the other side the opportunity to do that. In other words, when when we lose elections, well, it's democracy at work; just takes it back and take it. But when they lose, they're not supposed to do that. Same with the Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court has rulings they agree with, they're great. When they don't they're not? Yeah, they believe they occupy the uh, the moral high ground, a superior ethical position, when in fact they do not. Um, Correct. And, yeah, it's it's sort of. I saw it described once. I thought it was a really good uh, uh, description, which was uh, West Wing. It's sort of a West Wing way of uh, debating and thinking. Uh, you remember the TV show, The West Wing? Yes. That sort of introduced this monologue argument style where all I need to do is just essentially call you some names, make fun of you, and just you know express some righteous indignation and then everybody is convinced that I have the right position and I am superior in my ethical standards and uh, you should go along with what I am saying. It, it, and it actually ruined Democrats for a very long time because that's not actually how you win debates. Right, and, that, and that's why instead, instead of arguing their, their points, they always call us names first. Right, and there's the other thing which was, uh, there's an old axiom as well that, I think it was, uh, well, I don't know if an axiom. Charles Krauthammer, I think, was the one who said it. If you understand that people on the right believe that folks on the left are mistaken, they are wrong, right, on their ideas, they, that they've come to these conclusions and beliefs, um, but they are wrong. But that's, they don't believe them to be evil or mean. Now, maybe they do nowadays, but this was when Krauthammer was alive, and he said people on the right believe folks on the left are just mistaken. They are wrong. People on the left think the people on the right are, are motivated by animus and evil and meanness, and that's why they call names. And that's why, see, when you when you have that kind of a view of your political opponent, well, now all manner of transgressions become justifiable because you're fighting for a 
you know, for a higher purpose, for a higher cause. And so if that means I got to get a little dirty to, to win, well, you know, I'm saving democracy. Like, the, the, you know, what's on the line is so valuable and important right now that I guess I can break some of these norms for now. And then we'll totally go back to them after you fall in line. Hence the writing on one side and the other side is always peaceful protest. Right. It, that is at the core of all of the double standards. It's a belief that all things are justified because they hold a morally superior, ethically superior position. And they don't. In fact, it's quite the opposite a lot of times. So I, I enjoy your show, you Pete. Thanks, Dan. Yes, sir. Appreciate the call. Um, I don't know. Was that a transactional discussion? Did we get into, was that just surface level stuff? Did we get a little too deep there? I don't know. Try to keep it. Tra- I'm just kidding. But who was the, was it Steve? I think it was his name who called. <laughs> yes. He, he said yesterday we were too, we were too transactional. Not ideal in the transaction because these are the anecdotes. These are the issues that arise, but the fundamental, the underlying, the philosophical stuff that animates, right? I, I spend great lengths of time talking about the psychology, uh, you know, sociology, so, so, a, a lot of the uh, the research that's done about why people behave the way they behave and and uh, contagions and that sort of thing, belief systems, how they're constructed, how they take hold, how they spread. I, I spend a lot of time talking about that too. But I understand also that a lot of people don't enjoy that. Look, this may come as a surprise to you, but I have been engaged in these kinds of philosophical, political discussions for a very, very long time. I dated back to the uh, uh, to standing around the keg at the college party. And back then, not a lot of people wanted to come and debate this stuff with me. I don't know why, but uh, I just, you know, fast forward about 20 years and all of a sudden, look at this, I'm getting paid to do it. So it all kind of works out in the end, I guess. But um, I've noticed that a lot of people are not really interested in sort of the underlying philosophical stuff. They, most people are transactional. They're anecdotal. It's how is this affecting my life? And so therefore, now it's important to me. This is why most people get get into politics or become aware of politics is because it finally starts affecting them. And usually it's the school districts. It's usually school board politics. That's their first exposure to this stuff. So... News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Uh, all righty, so uh, Governor, v- uh, Governor Vito. Yeah, well, yeah. Governor Cooper vetoed a bill that would allow gun owners seeking to renew their concealed weapons permits to avoid taking another firearm safety and training course if the previous permit had expired up to six months earlier. Cooper called it, quote, yet another way Republicans are working to chip away at common sense gun safety measures. Oh, thank God. Thank God. This is. I want to celebrate what we have just been exposed to here. What is that, Pete? Glad you asked. We have finally identified a, quote, common sense gun safety measure. We now know, right here, that Governor Cooper, who, remember, 
is in charge of the Democratic Governors Association, right? This guy is in charge of getting other Democrats elected governor in America. He's the top Democrat dog on this one. And so now he has identified one of the things they want as a common sense gun safety measure, which is, uh, all right, full disclosure, I'm a concealed handgun permit holder. I, I have my permit. And, uh, and believe me, the amount of times that I have moved in the last three years, I have tested every efficiency in the counties and the state uh, between two different counties. I have moved, uh, I, I think I did the math on this, uh, I think it was like five times in three years, something like that. And my, and my wife has as well. And so here's the thing. When you move, you have a very short window to go to the county that you moved from and to tell them, I am now in another county. And you have to get your permit in the new county. So I go to Asheville, I'm trying to transfer it, and they're like, no, you have to have that transfer request from Mecklenburg. But, okay, but I'm in I'm in Buncombe now. And they're like, well, that's the state law. I got to go down to Mecklenburg County and get that transferred up to here, which is weird to me. But then after I was like, I... I can't get down there anytime soon. I'm and I'm on a deadline. And luckily in Buncombe County, uh, the person working the desk, she made a phone call or fax or whatever it was they do. And uh, she got and she got them to send up the the request. So she worked and no, she did not know who I was. I did not play that card. I mean, I don't know if she knew. I did not say, do you know who I am? I never do that. So, uh, because she would say no. Usually, if we, that, that's the problem with trying to play that card. It's like, do you know who I am? Obviously, no. They're not going to know who I am. Most people do not know. So, uh, and that's and I appreciate that. I like that. Uh, and so I go in there, and she does the paperwork for me. But then we moved from one address to another in Buncombe. And then a year later, I moved again inside Buncombe. And then within a week, I moved to Charlotte. And then I moved six months later to Mecklenburg. So, yeah, five times over the course of about two and a half to three years. So, yes, I tested that system and uh, almost I felt like at times I was in witness protection. That's what it kind of felt like. Um, The whole time. I'm so worried that I'm going to miss one of these deadlines, right? And especially when I got to the house that we're in now, it wasn't even on the books. It was a brand new house in a brand new built, you know, uh, subdivision. And so we had to wait for it to get built. And when they come online, I've talked about this. It was I had to take a day off of work to go down to DMV because I had to show them a, a copy of the deed to the property to say this place exists. I'm not lying to you. Just because the Postal Service doesn't recognize the address doesn't mean it doesn't exist like I can assure you, I live in a house on this lot. Here it is. And because of the Postal Service not having it in their system, the DMV didn't have it in their system. And guess what you need to have in order to get your handgun permits updated? That's right, a driver's license. So the whole time I'm racing around trying to get all this done, because I'm trying to follow the freaking law, joke's on me, right? So six months 
By the way, I never did let it lapse. But six months was the cutoff. So what they're saying here was that if you miss the re-up, and that's, this is one of the things. People who don't get the, the concealed carry permits, the concealed handgun permits, they, they don't know this. A lot, a lot of them don't know this. Most of probably all of them do not know what it takes to actually get that permit, which is why I do not want to let it lapse. It's a pain. It's a pain. Um, we know somebody. It has taken her almost a year for McFadden's office to get her her permit. A year. They got sued over slow rolling this thing, and they were smacked down by the courts, and it still takes this long. It's a highly ineffective, inefficient system. They run you through background checks with the uh, mental hospitals and stuff, um, and uh, they, uh, you know, you got to pay the money. You got to go through the course. You have to take a, a concealed carry course, which includes you got to qualify on the range. You have to sit through eight hours, eight hours on a safety training course. But then once you get it, then you're done. But if it expires, you have to do it all again. If your permit expires and you don't re-up it in time, which, by the way, when sheriff's offices slow roll you, it could expire. That's why they told us in the classes, they were like, you need to, the year that you are looking to re-up, you need to re-up, you need to start that process as early as possible. Six months out, you want to start the paperwork. They would recommend, they were recommending earlier, and then some of the sheriff's offices were like, whoa, 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 don't, don't be giving out all this paperwork so early. So this bill would have said, look, if you miss the date by six months, we'll, but you still file the paperwork to re-up it, you don't have to go back through the training. You don't have to go back through the class. You don't have to go to the range and hit the marks again. You don't have to do that. And Cooper vetoed that. And his rationale is that making somebody go back through the training class because they missed the deadline by, by up to six months, that that's common sense gun safety measures. That is a common sense gun safety measure. Missing a deadline and making you go back through a training class that is a common-sense gun safety measure, according to him. Once again, another example, Roy Cooper's completely honest, good-faith debate. Another one uh, he vetoed would address how child advocacy centers can receive state funding. These are designed to help provide services to child abuse victims. He said the bill was well-intentioned but contains critical flaws that he hoped the lawmakers would fix. So, uh, and then he did like a regulatory reform measure. Um, yeah, oh no, he said he'll let that one become law, right? How is making somebody wait, or how is making somebody go back through the class a common sense gun safety measure simply because they missed the date by a week? They missed their re-update by a week. Maybe they were like me. Maybe they are moving around a lot. Stuff got, you know, lost in paperwork, whatever. That's, that's a common sense gun safety measure. I'm starting to think, guys, look, I don't want to cast aspersions here, but I'm starting to think that some of these, quote, common sense measures are not actually common sense gun safety measures. I know, I know, conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat wearing Pete over here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 
Here's another question on this whole common sense gun safety measure idea that if somebody lets their concealed handgun permit uh, expire uh, by, you know, a week, if they miss the deadline by a week, they have to go back through the training at at that cost, you know, the, the monetary cost, but also the time it takes, which is a whole day. And um, if if this is what Governor Cooper says is a common sense measure, then why wouldn't he be advocating for constantly updated trainings every single year for concealed handgun permit holders. I know here you're like, don't give them any ideas, Pete. But, but honestly, you don't hear them saying that, do you? I've never heard anybody say that you have to keep going back every single year to renew and have to go through the training and all that. I don't hear anybody making those arguments. And you know what would happen if they did? My response in that case would be, why? Concealed handgun permit holders commit virtually zero crime. And when I say virtually zero, I mean 0.001. I made up that last number. It is very small. It It is almost zero. Because that's the thing about concealed handgun permit holders. They follow the law. Because they got the permit. It's self-evident. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Here is Skip. Welcome to the program. Hello, Skip. How are you? I'm good, Pete. Good. I love your show. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yep. I just want to give you a nightmare scenario that happened to me. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. We lived in Union County and moved to Anson County. Okay. During the pandemic, this was in October of 2020 when we closed and moved into our new home. My concealed carry permit expired June of 2021. Okay. So I still had eight months or so. Yeah. Well, if you remember like what you said earlier, you got to have your driver's license with the correct date on it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you remember, DMV offices were closed. Oh, my God. And you couldn't get anyone on the phone. You had to do everything online. Online, right. And the North Carolina DMV website is very confusing. And lo and behold, I finally got it, and I finally got my driver's license. It took me until March to get to get it. So I went to Anson County Sheriff's Office, said I need to renew because it's coming up in June. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, you still had a couple of months. You had like 60 days or something. Yeah. But that's when I found out, nope, there's a state law that says you got to go back to Union County and get the sheriff to release it and send a request to us. Exactly. All right. So I did. I went all the way back there. The next day, I drove all the way back to Anson County Sheriff's Office. Their computers had been hacked. They said they could not process my uh, form at that time for me to come back next week. I went back next week. Nope, computers are still down. I go back the following week. Finally, they, the computers were up and they processed my form. Well, now this is the beginning of April, first couple weeks of April. Right. I... Ask him, I said, okay, my permit expires in June. Am I going to be okay? Well, I don't know. We'll just see. And I said, well, what if it expires? I said, I'm trying to read it. She said, well, when you did this form and we signed it, keep this in your wallet. This will prove that you have a current concealed carry permit and you're legal. It has your correct address. It matches your driver's license. You just don't have the concealed carry card. Right. Now, 
It took me from April, May, June, July, August to get a phone call that says, hey, your food carry's ready to pick up. Right. And I went down and got it. And everything was cool, but it was, it seemed to me like it was designed for a law-abiding citizen to have to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop to continue oh. to do the right thing. When it would have been just as easy for me to say, you know, the heck with this. <laughs> right. So uh, there's a there's a name for uh, that whole uh, process uh, uh, that you just described. It's called government. Yeah. So, yeah there you go. All right. Hey, listen, keep up the good work. I enjoy your show. Thanks, Kip. Appreciate it. Uh, no, and hey, look, that's one of the things, too. When you change your address, they give you this little updated card, and you got to carry that thing with you, too. I have in my wallet right now. Hang on a second. Hang on. Let me see. How many of these things do I actually have? Because you got to keep it with you. Every time you tra- every time you tra- you change address, you have to keep the old form with you. So here's one, here's two, here's three, yeah, here's four. So I have four of these concealed carry address cards from all my four previous addresses, and I don't get a re up on this until what year is this? It's like seven years or five years or something. Yeah, so I can't get a new card with my new address on it for another like four years. I'm going to be carrying around all of these things in my wallet for the next four years, five years, whatever it is. And people wonder how I got on the path to limited government, right? What, Pete, what what happened? I don't understand. I literally had somebody ask me this one time. They said, I don't understand. You're a, you're a deadhead. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, how'd you, become, how'd you become a conservative? And I said, well... First off, lowercase l, libertarian, more of a conservatarian kind of a thing. But um, this is why. This is why. Also, my default position is freedom, which is actually kind of in line with being a deadhead. That is kind of, they're very, they're freedom-adjacent philosophies. Um, but, uh, people's exposure to this kind of ridiculousness, but you're, you're not winning over converts here to, yay, let's turn more stuff over to GovCo for this stuff. You know, it's just, yeah, for, I, that just infuriates me. I should never have counted all of those permits. It's all for the same permit. It's just, they're just change of address forms. How do, how do I still have to carry around all of these forms? Some of them, like, this creates a bulge in the wallet that people think is money, is cash. And then they want to mug me. And then uh, they find the con- that I'm a concealed permit holder. 